Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Um, You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Uh, This is the Living Free Show uh, on 855kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Um, I'm Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be talking about alcoholism and the family disease. I'd like to welcome Sue and Terry to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Thanks. As members of Al-Anon family groups, they're going to share their experience of living with the effects of alcoholism and how Al-Anon has helped them. Um, so I guess, Sue, we might start with you. Um, usually we sort of have a chat about, um, you know, how you grew up and how you progressed to, to coming in contact with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So do you want to tell us about your early life and how that influenced you? Yeah. Um, look, I grew up in a relatively happy home. There wasn't any active drinking in my home. Um, and uh, But I there was some sort of uh, strange things in that my mum seemed very emotionally unavailable and I never really understood that. She didn't really uh, like to talk about her her upbringing and so we just sort of got the um, idea from little, tiny little um, incidents that happened over time. You know, she was very black and white with her view of the world and uh, certainly as kids growing up we was, we weren't encouraged to be too open and actually I shut down quite badly growing up. I was the eldest of the kids and I had a lot... I, I did take on a lot of responsibility because my mum wasn't always available for us. But, um, yeah, then I... Um, when I finally left home and I uh, started work, uh, yeah, I enjoyed doing that and I met my husband when I was about 20 um, and I met him through friends, through a work situation, but um, we actually met because of his uh, involvement in cricket and uh, my friend was married to his best mate. So uh, we didn't, we did work for the same company, but we wouldn't have known each other had we not met through them. Anyhow, the, the short story of that is that uh, we did finish up getting together, although I did early on the piece, I remember thinking, gee, he drinks quite a bit, but I didn't think much about it. I actually didn't take it on board. We just used to have lots of fun. That's all I remember from those early days. And um, uh, initially I did uh, decline to go out with him, but then he persisted and I finished up, uh, did take the opportunity, I went out with him and um, actually discovered that he was quite a nice person. Um, it wasn't till much later that I realised that this problem of his drinking was uh, much more entrenched than I'd ever been. <laughs> I wasn't really ready for that, but it took quite a few years for uh, his drinking to progress to the stage where it affected me. Um, it was probably a good 15 years after we'd been married that I noticed that things were not going and I was starting to really be affected by that situation. Right, okay. Um, so in your family, being the eldest of six girls, you must have had a lot to do at home, were mm. you? Yeah, definitely. Um, just uh, there was a fairly, you know, it was about 12 and a half years between myself and my younger sister and uh, there were varying responsibilities that because uh, my mum didn't work until I was about 10 but once she started going out to work uh, I was helping with um, 
you know, just looking after the other kids. Uh, and I just had a lot – I look back now and realise that I was overly responsible. Uh, I never – I still don't resent that situation, but I do realise that it contributed to how I became quite a people pleaser and really felt a lot of pressure to fix or to look after everyone else because that was my role in the home growing up. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I sort of extended that going into my marriage because um, – I did. Uh, I definitely. I loved my husband, but um, uh, you know, like I was, when things started to go a bit pear shaped, and I noticed that things had, um, you know, his drinking was progressing. I was becoming really a scared, really fearful of how other people might perceive that. I wanted to fix it. I had so many. Um, you know, like I was starting to react. I wasn't liking who I was becoming, but it did take me quite a few more years before I found Al-Anon because I persisted. I thought that I could find this solution. I could make him stop drinking and I thought it'll all be fine. But the truth was that I was actually getting much, much sicker as I went along. I was reacting and it was making me very unhappy. And in fact, um, I was absorbed more with my work than I'd ever been. And I realise now in hindsight that that was because I was avoiding going home. Right. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to see what was going on. Yeah. Very common, I think. Um, so, Terry, um, you had a similar sort of background in real terms. Yes, um, I'm the youngest of six children um, and younger by quite a, a, a lot of years. So I was always around... Um, a lot of grown-ups, my siblings and their friends, and our household was very much um, the social scene to be at. Um, we had football club and cricket club and, you know, just local gatherings on a very regular basis. Um, so although my parents were not alcoholic, they were daily drinkers, and alcohol was a very normal part of everything that went on in our household. So right from an early age, um, you know, I was very used to seeing a lot of people drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, my brother's drinking was um, got out of hand. Uh, when I was about well, between 10 and 12, his drinking became quite problematic. Um, and that's where I first saw, um, you know, and was involved with helping him in situations like, you know, letting him in the front door he went he and I were the only ones living at um, our parents home at that stage so he'd lost his keys and he was drunk and fallen over at the front door and I was the one to let him in and help him out um, a number of times I had to pick him up off the kitchen floor he'd fall asleep in the toilet and you know up against the door and things like that so um, you know I, I saw a little bit of that um, he then moved overseas and um, I didn't really have much contact with him for quite a while but about five years later I went and visited him for an extended period and at that point uh, his life was unravelling. Um, he realised that things were really getting messed up. He'd had a number of issues, uh, police and physical altercations and things like that and finally he decided that he needed to get some help so um, he, he did. He sought some recovery help and found Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and at that point, I came back to Australia from my holiday. Um, and the contact kind of died off at that point. Um, so, so, so how long were you over there to sort of help him through that process? Well, I don't know that I really helped him at that point. <laughs> but I was there for five weeks and, and did see, I guess, the major unravelling of 
you know, where he was at. He'd already lost a marriage, um, had a new relationship uh, with another alcoholic and, yeah, things were out of control. Um, but it was nice to see that he'd finally come to a point where he knew he needed help. I just didn't, you know, have a hand in that particular part of it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so were there problems with you staying with him overseas or...? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. When I was there, you know, um, some pretty messed up behaviours, um, you know, a lot of drunken nights and, you know, a little bit of violence and, and you know, even down to him trying to, you know, I was 17 and he wanted me to come to the bars with him and you've got to be 21 over there. Yeah. So, you know, it was all a little bit bit dodgy, yeah. <laughs> right. um, so you came home and tried to start life life normal well yeah you know what I thought was normal so I went off to university at that point and um did you know what all good uni kids do I drank and partied with the best of them um and and met my um my partner at that stage um and you know for a long time we had a lot of fun uh we you know did a lot of socializing a lot of drinking and had heaps of fun uh, but I guess slowly over time, it became apparent that my partner's drinking was, um, again, probably a little problematic. You know, he would, we'd need to, you know, he'd pinch a six pack for the trip home because, you know, you can't get home without more beer and, um, you know, things would be manipulated so that um, we would get to places or get home from places so that um, drinking could happen. So slowly I started to see that, um, you know, maybe it wasn't all fun and games. And I also at the same time started to realise that, well, somebody's got to actually, you know, go to work and pay the bills <laughs> and maybe be try and be the mature one in the situation. So, Harsh reality. Yeah. 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 Um, so did you think alcohol was a problem at that point? Oh, not really. No. I, I, I thought that... A challenge. Yeah, yeah, he drank a lot, but that was okay because I would be able to keep tabs on things and make sure it wasn't getting out of hand and, I guess, control the situation, um, certainly from the outside, so that things yeah. were all good. Yeah. yeah. So did you did you think that everything, obviously, as as uh, somebody who's close contact with an alcoholic, you, you have an obsession with them and they have an obsession with alcohol... But did your life revolve around alcohol? Yeah, your, your, yes. As a couple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was. My obsession was with him and his obsession was with the alcohol, but my obsession became about the alcohol too. I would count how many drinks he was having. I would track how many dollars we were spending a week, a month on alcohol. Um, I would manipulate situations, you know, thinking I was doing the right thing, but obviously, you know, really making situations worse. I now know. Um, but, yes, I was obsessed completely. Yeah. Okay. Um, back to you, Sue. So what, what's it like being married to an alcoholic and that obsession of thinking you can control the situation? Um, so how does, that, how does that play out mm. in your daily life? Well, it just manifests itself for me. It did anyway um, in... A lot of um, really, dis, you know, very 
desperate behaviour, um, actually trying to talk it out, um, you know, uh, convince my husband that, you know, he should or shouldn't be doing something. And um, it caused a lot of conflict in our home that didn't, you know, and it wasn't, the conflict wasn't really coming from him is what I realised looking back. It was me, my reactions. Um, I was just, I was too, was extremely obsessed um, and I was looking at what I would pit, you know, if I put a picture, it'd be the sky is falling. And it really, when I got into Al-Anon, I, um, I learnt, came to learn that, in fact, there was probably about 10% of my real problems were related to alcohol. And so much re- of the rest was actually related to how I was trying to manage and manipulate myself, you know. I was doing things like hiding, um, you know, I thought that I was doing a great job of hiding this from other people, you know, my family, my friends, you know. They all loved my husband because he was a really fun person. He Mm. really was. And when he was out, obviously, um, there would be... The behaviours that were in the home, though, were things like him going, you know, drinking and drinking and drinking and falling asleep on the couch. And there was no option for having a life outside of home. I didn't think. But what I learned by coming to Al-Anon was that, in fact, there was a different way. It wasn't my role to actually be managing him or anyone else. I had to just focus on what I could do for myself and make changes as I, you know, and I learned to make those changes. Um, but it took a bit of time. It didn't just happen magically for me. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Terry, what what happened next for you then? Obviously, you know your your relationship is is progressing, and the drinking's increasing, but it's still not a problem. No, that does sound strange, doesn't it? But yeah, it was something that I seriously thought I could keep in check. And I I guess I spent a lot of my time um, hiding what was going on. Um, I really did not want anybody to know that things weren't all rosy. Um And in a similar way to Sue, you know, people really love my partner and, you know, he is a good person and could be a lot of fun to be around. Um, But that level of um, drinking, you know, withdrew both of us from everyone around us. Um, I found myself getting more and more busy with work um, because it was somewhere to hide so that I didn't have to deal with what was going on Um, and it also was something that I was convinced that I could actually control and fix if I just loved him more if I changed myself some way got fitter healthier if I just did something I was going to be able to fix this Um, But at the same time, I also saw all of those negative things about myself as being reasons that he probably was drinking. So in a crazy way, I was the problem and trying to be the solution. And, you know, neither of those were effective. I was really, um, I was starting to go nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yep, that's very common, I think. Um, So, what was I going to say? so did you think that, or no, did your husband, uh, did your partner 
ever say to you those things that you were thinking about yourself? Did he ever say, I only drink because? No. No. So it was all in your head. They were all in my head. And, you know, I've come to see now that a lot of what went on was in my head. Um, You know, I... I can't even imagine the hours that I spent conjuring up conversations and situations and, um, you know, things in my mind that I thought were going to eventuate. Um, You know, I I really became a lunatic. I I was the screaming banshee in the street yelling at the top of my lungs. I was smashing beer bottles against brick walls. I you know, broke my knuckle punching cupboard doors because I was so angry that he couldn't see that I was right. (laughs) That's great, isn't it? Yes. And so, and same thing for you. Did your husband ever articulate that you were the problem? No, my husband actually was, he was just very, uh, look, in as much as he drank a lot, um, we were, we had a very close relationship. Like, um, you know, we always sort of were able to be, uh, to talk and to, you know, to reason things out. But it didn't alter that he had an, he was, um, he wasn't able to stop drinking once he started his first, had his first drink. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, I was just thinking then that um, probably the thing that was pivotal for me in uh, just realising that this was much bigger than I'd ever anticipated. I thought I could make him stop. But uh, we did a cruise and it was the, the year before, only in a few months before I started going to Al-Anon. And I can remember being horrified by the costs of the grog. And, you know, like it was, you know, we did have a sort of, you know, it was a nice time, but it wasn't normal. You know, I realised how, it, it, you know, he had to be close to the drinking. He had to have that access to it at all times. And, um, you know, I just realised I didn't have, I didn't know how to fix this. I just could not fix it. And that made me angry then because I thought, you know, like, what have I wasted all these years? <laughs> um, and uh, and I really did believe that the only solution was to leave the marriage, and I was ready to do that. Um, but fortunately, um, I was talking to my mum, and ironically, later I realised that she probably could have done with Eleanor too. But um, but she suggested Eleanor because she actually had a close friend who had been to Eleanor, and uh, and it was in a very similar situation to my. Um, my husband and myself, um, he was just really compulsive and had got progressively unwell as the years went on. Uh, and her friend did actually change her life through going to Eleanor. So I thought when mum said that, I maybe I need to do that. I had never heard of it. So I was, um, it was a sort of flash from the blue. But I did take the, uh, make the effort, have a look online, and I found that there was a... This happened on a Thursday night because the next morning the meeting that was on was really close to where I live and I rocked up. I just thought, I've got to go because I was so desperate. I thought I was just so unhappy. I, I couldn't believe... That was why my mum suggested it because unlike what I normally would be, I was really sobbing and so upset by this situation because it was the frustration and the hurt and, you know, real fears about what's the future hold. 
because I mean we'd been married for 30 years at that stage and and I was already starting to think forward I was looking to the future and thinking oh my god if he retires what am I going to do I can't do this you know so the, but this is uh, the miracle is actually getting to Elanon and people showing me or the program showing me that I don't have to think that far ahead. I just have to look for today yep. and uh, and focus on, on what I do have and be grateful for the things that are going on in my life. And because of that, our relationship did change and my husband's behaviour with his drinking actually didn't change. In fact, he didn't survive the disease um, which was really sad. It is not what I would have wanted. But in fact, I realised after being in the program for probably only about four or five months that I just had to stop getting, you know, stop making it my business <laughs> and let him get on with whatever he was going to do. Uh, you know, accepting that I perhaps, uh, you know, it is a spiritual program and having uh, learning that I, I wasn't in control was really good for me. It was very instructive um, and it just helped me, you know, it brought our relationship back into balance because I started to be have compassion not only for himself but for me, you know, giving myself a break. I, You know, I didn't cause it, <laughs> I couldn't control it and I certainly couldn't cure it. But, you know, the real lovely thing for me is that I learnt also that my family growing up were affected by this disease and in fact there was no active drinking in the home but my mum's father was an alcoholic and had and it had imprinted on her life a lot of uh, really sad behaviours uh, which were passed down to us so you know even just having that acceptance that I've been affected by this disease and I probably needed it before I met my husband <laughs> uh, it gave us a break because we weren't so um, so bad. Everything wasn't wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was. And since coming to Elanon, I've learnt that I could reconnect with longtime friends. I've made lots and lots of lovely, um, you know, met people in the fellowship and seen how really my life was. It wasn't good, and I can't discount that. But my story is my story. But it's lovely to be able to hear how other people have learnt to also get past the disease and to learn to live a really full life again. Yeah, thank you. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on your digital radio. Podcasts of the Living Free Show are available online at 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and also available on iTunes. Uh, Other great uh, 3CR podcasts are available on the 3CR website 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts and also if you have a question or comment about the show um, then you can give us give the station a call on 9419 8377 or you can email us at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com um, the station has got some coolier scarves for sale I'll just play you a promo 3CR are selling Kofia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. 
Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Ah. Welcome back. Um, so um, I'm talking to Terry and Sue about um, living with alcoholism and with the help of Alan and family groups. Um, so, Sue, uh, sorry, Terry, um, one of the things that happens in an alcoholic marriage often, or an alcoholic relationship, I should say, often, is that people move about a bit. So did you do any geographicals? Yeah, we did. Um, you know, not massive moves, but certainly um, away from one place to another in terms of different suburbs and thinking that by moving house or buying a house, uh, things would change. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, we took each other with us <laughs> each time that we did something like that. And even, you know, going on holidays, um, that was seen as maybe a solution, but really it was just trying to run away from the real world. And again, we took ourselves with us. So, um, you know, we avoided a lot. Um, you know, I missed out on going to a lot of events uh, for friends and families, birthdays, weddings, Christmases, um, from fear of what other people would think of what had become of our relationship. Um, there was shame um, and guilt. Um, and, you know, I, I do know that we, you know, have missed out on quite a lot of significant events in, in life that could have, you know, should have been mm. part of it. Um, yeah, so it was quite a uh, almost debilitating situation missing out on life, but at the same time convinced that I still could fix it. You know, <laughs> right. that was yeah. the underlying thing that was going on at all times, that, mm. you know, it would be okay somehow or other I was going to make this work. You were the problem and the solution. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, so did you did you get angry? Were you upset? Yeah, yeah, I was. And, you know, I, I did... I, I became the violent one, you know. My partner who, you know, was the alcoholic um, and always drunk was the nice guy <laughs> and I, I was the one who, um, you know, was throwing things and slamming doors and, and really reacting in such a crazy manner. Um, it really was ridiculous. Um, but I wouldn't let anyone on the outside see that. No. The neighbours probably had some clues because they probably heard it. But um, my family and the people at work, I did everything I possibly could to show them that I was completely in control. Yeah, it's, uh, it's surprising that I grew up next to, living next to um, a friend next door and um, we were quite close. We went to different schools in my teens, um, but... He, I think we lived next door for 16 years or something and we had the most almighty rows at our place and he didn't know my dad was an alcoholic or that we had a problem. And that's the level of denial that um, the family goes through in, in making sure nobody can hear it but also the level of, um, what, control that as a child I wouldn't have shared anything with him 
that it would would have made him aware, and that's really crazy, you know, when you think of it. So, um, yeah. So, Sue, so you, you mentioned you came to Alan, but what was it like coming to Alan? Uh, well, the initial uh, coming to Alan on going to that first meeting, I actually arrived and um, got to the car park and saw someone that I knew who was sort of uh, related by distance to me, and that. I, it stopped me in my tracks to start with. I sat in the car for about five or ten minutes and thought, oh, my goodness, I can't go into there because <laughs> I realised that she'd gone into where I was supposed to be going to this Eleanor meeting. But then I just felt like, no, I've got this far, I need to take that step. And I'm really pleased that I did because when I got into the room, it was um, there was probably about um, 16 people in the room but what I really noticed straight away was a couple of things. One was there was a little sign um, that said, except don't expect. And there was a sense of hope in listening to the people in the room. They seemed to be very calm, you know, and there was this sense of serenity. But the other thing was listening to the stories of others and thinking, oh, my God, I thought my problems were really overwhelming, but in fact there were a lot of people sitting in that room that were sharing their stories so honestly and without fear or shame. And I thought, um, you know, they their stories were probably... There was people talking about some that had violence and some that had much worse situations that I've, I'd heard. I thought my, I thought my um, situation was really bad, but in fact... I now know that it was bad for me. I was in a terrible state and I was really in despair. But I didn't have to continue to live like that. This was a, a, it was a way of learning to open up who I was as a person and share and know that I wasn't alone. You know, that was the thing that I felt most when I got to the end of that meeting. Just, oh, that was the other miracle, was being able to hear people talk and no one talked over the top of them. Mm, great. I could not believe that because that were growing up, you know, uh, it took a couple of years before I recognised it and sort of saw that my family life growing up was quite, um, it was a bit odd, but I didn't know how to um, quantify that. But I soon realised that, in fact, it was because of the disease of alcoholism. It was present even though the drinking wasn't there because I took the time then. Someone suggested to me to find out, well, if your mum can't tell you what's going on, maybe have a a bit of a prod around. So I did. I did a bit of research and spoke to one of her sisters, her younger sister, and it soon came out that as a result of her father's drinking, her mother had left the home and her and her younger sister had finished up in a in a terrible situation. They were in a, um, you know, like an orphanage, a home, for two whole years when they were six and eight-year-old. Mm. Um, and it was just total, you know, like now I realise that she was only doing the best she could. She didn't know how to do it better. She had no formative love or compassion in her own life. How could she possibly pass it on? Yeah. So learning that and and... You know, I thought that she was just being a difficult person. <laughs> but in fact, uh, she wasn't. She was doing the best she could, just as I was, really. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's also about respect as well. Respecting the other person's right to be sick and to take time to recover, the same as, you know, we're taking time to recover ourselves. Yeah. Um, Terry, so how did you find out about Alanon or find out that 
So what was the point at which you decided, I can't do it alone? I guess after spending so many years um, trying to fix it and not being able to, um, and I did try everything, you know, it was the geographicals and it was hiding the grog and tipping it down the sink and pleading and begging and ignoring and pretending it wasn't happening. Um, it did become apparent that this was not going to, not, not, it wasn't coming good. Um, I finally confided in a work colleague um, and she made me see that I didn't need to be miserable. You know, life there is more to life than, than just being so obsessed and miserable all of the time. Um, so that got me onto thinking about whether I was going to stay in the relationship at all and at the same time doing a little bit of research. Um, and I did read about Al-Anon on the internet, um, but at that stage I didn't actually make it to a meeting. Um, I was a little disappointed that I'd seen so many professionals over the years, doctors and psychologists and counsellors. I'd been treated for depression um, and was on medication and yet nobody had ever mentioned Al-Anon to me, which I found interesting. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I knew that I was going to have to do something. So, yeah, I decided that I needed to start looking at how I was going to get happier and not be in this misery. Um, and slowly um, things really started to unravel for my partner um, and he finally got to the point where he needed help. He realised or decided that yeah. he was going to get some help um, and ended up going to a rehab. Yeah. Mm. And is that how you found Eleanor, through the rehab? Well, as I say, I had read about it but not actually gone there. But, yeah, once he went to the rehab, um, part of that program was um, going to AA meetings and one of the staff members at the rehab suggested that Al-Anon might be a good place for, for me. Yep. Okay. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking to Sue and Terry about living with the family disease of alcoholism and how Al-Anon family groups can help. So I think, Terry, go back to you. Um, so you heard, of, heard about Al-Anon through rehab. So what's it like going to Al-Anon? Well, what I thought that I had read about Al-Anon was that I was going to go and learn how to keep my partner sober. Um, <laughs> obviously, that's not actually the case at all, but my deluded thinking told me that that's what I was reading. Um, so I decided that I would go to a meeting and pulled up in the car park and sat in the car and chickened out. And I did that twice before I finally got the guts up to get out of the car at the third meeting and to go in there. Um, it was quite a remarkable experience. I was scared, but I knew that I had to do something and it was almost overwhelming to see these people, as Sue said, with stories that I thought were far more horrific than my own. Um, but they were happy and hopeful and living their lives, not in despair and misery. And that impressed on me that there was hope. Um, and 
I didn't really understand what it was that they had, but I knew that I really, really wanted some of it. So since that very first meeting, um, I've been pretty consistent in going back. Um, it's been a, a very much a roller coaster ride, um, but it, it's certainly been a life changing one. Mm. Yes, it is. It does change your life, and it changes the way you look at yourself, and particularly the way you look at others. And I think part of that's about respect, just letting other people be the way they are right now. Uh, and not ex- not ex- expect them to be something different than um, than what they can be. Um, yeah. So so you know you came to Alaron, and um, what did you find about yourself that you you hadn't really realised before? Well, I I actually um, started to realise that actually I was pretty bossy. <laughs> Um, you know, like just no, my need for control was pretty um, intense. Like it was almost like I, w- I just felt that I had to be um, solving not just my husband's problems. It was to do with my family. I had a lot of um, involvement with my younger sisters, my younger siblings, um, and I did it because I loved them. But in fact, it wasn't a healthy way to live my life because what I was doing, without realising it, I was actually forfeiting my own life. I wasn't real. I'd lost touch with who I was as a person, what I enjoyed, because I was putting everyone else first. And um, Alanon uh, was great for me in that respect because it it gave me the opportunity to start actually, you know, just pair it back and really take a little bit of time to. Um, to do what they call an inventory on myself. I, I got a sponsor fairly early in the program and that was really good for me. I had an older, lovely, lovely woman who'd been with the program a long time and she was just uh, able to guide me uh, in just changing my perspective because, of course, I was really hurt and I was really... I wanted to talk at it. When I first got there, I, all I did was cry the first probably six meetings. I mean, they recommend you go to six meetings before you make a decision. But I really thought after the first meeting, I think, oh, this is going to work. I'm doing it. I don't. I didn't really care what it took at that stage. But it was really lovely because that person said to me, because I was complaining, you know, about my husband. Um, and, you know, like really I could not see a solution to, you know, like because I was trying to force, because <laughs> I hadn't been able to fix it. So why would anyone else? But this other lovely member was able to say to me look just take some time you know sometimes there is a sometimes there's another there's a higher power have you ever considered that you could let this go and uh, and just see how things go give yourself an opportunity to change a few of these behaviors things like you know sometimes I would uh, we'd have an argument but it was me that was pushing you know like I was holding so tightly to the the reins of that rope I didn't know how to drop it so the argument wouldn't be necessary that my husband would have stayed started it because he was pretty calm, really. Uh, but he did like to drink, and I hated that, you know. So anyhow, I did uh, take those kind words and start to practice it, and it did take a lot of practice. I couldn't just do it straight away. I found I kept taking back that need. or I didn't understand that it was a disease, and it wasn't until I really accepted that and was able to let go of my own um, fear of being found out as being not worth it, not valid, 
that you know that I started to give myself a break and actually in in turn gave everyone else in my life a break but it helped change the relationship in my home and I'm very thankful for that because if that hadn't happened um, I probably wouldn't have stayed in the relationship and I um, you know I'm really thankful that we did actually come back into alignment you know like I, I didn't have to throw everything out I didn't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater yep. as they say and uh, and things did gradually start to turn around because I was just taking the foot off you know not I was starting to look outward uh, not outwards in thing but what I want to do and doing it started going to the pictures by myself you know <laughs> I mean at first because I didn't have you know I was so isolated I didn't necessarily feel that I could ask someone to go to the pictures so I started to think well what can I do oh I know I'll just take myself off and do that that's a little gift to me um, but as a consequence, these days my life is very, very different, and um, yeah, and and it's only through Alanon that I've found that change. Mm, thank you, uh, Terry. What did the alcoholic do when you got into Alanon as well? What were they doing? Uh, he was attending AA, um, but he hated it. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. um, he really struggled with how it was going to help him um, for probably twelve months. Um, and it wasn't until he came across a particular person who really um, made sense to him that things started to fall into place. So he is working a program um, and working it hard and well. Um, and, you know, it's been a nice situation where we're able to be going on our own journeys um, and we're respectful of the fact that we have separate journeys now. Um, I'm not totally obsessed with what it is that he's doing and how he's working his program. Um, my focus has very much turned back towards myself. Um, going to Al-Anon and finding out that alcoholism is a disease was, you know, a major thing. You know, he wasn't doing all of this to be a bugger. <laughs> he is sick and um, I too am quite sick, you know, from the result of living with alcoholism. Um so it's been a, an amazing revelation. I've been able to start to get to know who I am. You know, for 20 years, everything to do with me was on hold because it was all about fixing situations and being, you know, outwardly in control of everything. So I'm just starting to get to know who I am and what I like and what I want to do with my world, <laughs> um, which is a really nice revelation. Yeah. Is know. that a worthwhile experience? Oh, entirely. Yeah. I, it knocks my socks off that, um, you know, simply by refocusing on myself and stop being so judgmental and at the same time, you know, reflecting and seeing my part in what did go on, you know, um, for a long time I pushed all blame away from myself but I now know that, you know, I contributed quite cons considerably to our situation Um so, yeah, it's a beautiful process to be getting to know myself um, and the the wisdom that I have gained from going to Al-Anon meetings, um, every single time I go I come away with some little gem um, as simple as don't react, you don't have to say anything, no is a valid answer, you know. Yep. All of those things are incredibly great pieces of advice. Yes, they are. Uh, and so... Um how did the relationship 
with the alcoholic turnaround, once you stopped being the shouty, controlling person? Well, our our home just became a lot more calm. <laughs> Strangely <laughs> enough. Yeah, and, uh, you know, but, you know, it was um, – it wasn't actually. I do think that although Peter, my husband, didn't maybe deliberately um, set out to do it as a consequence of it, I think he was uh, considering doing things, trying to do things a bit differently. He never got to AA, um, and uh, he tried to do it on his own. Which I think uh, anyone that has the addiction of alcoholism, it's a pretty big ask to be able to do that journey. But I did realise that. Um, it wasn't my journey, it was his, and I didn't have to, uh, you know, I was there f- in our relationship as good as I could be, but I didn't have to give everything to it and suffice my own self because of that. Um, but it was just, it was nicer just not to have that conflict, you know, and the conflict mm. was being caused by me. I mean, I know that the symptom was the drinking, yeah. and that was what I was really unhappy about, but when I started to open up myself to changing, um, you know, like just little things, you know, like uh, if if he did have – one day I was about to go to a meeting and he actually did say to me he'd had a couple of drinks and he said, oh, I suppose you're going to that meeting going to talk about me. This was quite early in the piece. And, and I just was able to turn around and go, well, no, I don't actually talk about you. This is, this is my journey. And, you know, he never ever said anything after that. He was quite happy with that. So I think that's the understanding. You know, there's a lot of people I've spoken to who th- have heard about Al-Anon and they seem to think that it's, um, uh, you know, they assume that we're there, uh, you know, making it all about the alcoholic. But in fact, no, it's actually a very um, kind way. Being, you know, learning to be kind, neutral and non-judgmental was huge. They were huge changes for me. Um, and I've only been able to learn it by interacting with other members going to lots of meetings and making learning that I can make different choices. I didn't have to just stay fixed. You know, change is always going to be inevitable. And just being able to live in the day, you know, it really released me to be very different and much more happy with what I've got, even though the story wasn't particularly happy for me. You know, that relationship, I would have, my my um, wish would have been that my husband survived, but he didn't. And I have to learning to accept life on life's terms has been a real revelation. Yeah, that's right. Letting go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for today. Uh, time's creeping on. Um, so I'd like to thank Sue and Terry for coming into the three CR studio this, today and sharing their Alan Family Group recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, next Thursday, Living Free is going to be taking a break um, as 3CR celebrates International Women's Day 2018. Uh, tune in at 1pm to hear Hope Matumbu present 40 Years of Immigrant and Refugee Women's Health. Thanks for listening to Living Free today. 